Eddie Pepperell, who is he again? That, that's you, right? Speaking like Monty. Am I right in saying that? No. That's Monty. Yeah. Eddie Pepperell. Which one is he again? Welcome once again to the Pepper Pod. Wherever you are listening, on a walk, during your daily exercise, perhaps on a 14-hour round trip to Durham. What is going on, Eddie Pepper? What's happening in Peppertown at the moment? Um, not a lot. I'm drinking coffee at the moment. Oh, so am I. Wow, we're coffee coffee bros. What, um, what kind of coffee are you drinking? I'm actually doing a one of those bulletproof coffees as we speak, one of the Phil Mickelson ones with the butter and the MCT oil, oh, which has God. been good. I've been doing it for a couple of weeks. keeps you oh. going. But Laurie Cantor actually sent me some... Um, there's a place in Bath called Kelowna and Smalls, a little coffee shop, and it's amazing, amazing coffee. And he sent me two of their uh, coffee beans this week in the post. Two, I opened, sorry, two beans. Well, yeah, I mean, I didn't go very far, did it? Two packets of coffee beans, mm. I should have said. Mm. And uh, one of them was the rare, the rare type. And some, I don't know where, I think it's from somewhere in America. It's, it's just very obscure, um, you know, coffee bean. And uh, it was unbelievable. It was the most... I didn't appreciate just how different coffee could be. You know, it's uh, yeah. it was almost it was so sweet. It was like having a coffee milkshake. It was quite amazing. Yeah. I had a flat white. You know, I had it in a flat white form. So uh, anyway, how are you, Andrew? I'm all right. I just said uh, Laurie Cantor. Did you see he won the long drive? And the, you know, you were um, besmirching the BMW Indoor Invitational and its virtual credentials and how um, how precise you thought it might be as a, a replication of real life. And you said that's nonsense because he was seven under after seven on Port Rush. Well, he won the long drive as well at um, München Eichenried. They were playing. Um, he was only. I mean, he only won it because he hit the fairway, and none of the others. Uh, managed to. I didn't know. I mean, there were a couple of players I didn't know about. Vilko Ninabar, a South African guy, young young guy. Go, oh, he gives it a hit. He gives oh, it a hit and a half. He's seriously long. Why was the scoring not so good at? Um, well, well, in, uh, well, they'd switched on the wind facility because it was there was no wind at uh, Port Rusher, and uh, yeah, so they had uh, switched on. So it was about a. It was only about a ten mile an hour wind, but it made all the difference. Apparently, so there we are. And uh, so, so they played Portrush in no wind, and, and of course <laughs> yeah, exactly. in the middle of Munich, which is usually hot, steamy, and not very breezy. Yeah, um, yeah well, there we are. But they're, oh, they're, they're, they're le- we're all learning as we go along, though. So, yeah. Um, anyway, I'm I'm enjoying. I'm drinking coffee from an Andrew Murray Charity Pro Am mug. Um, that's what I'm doing. Just now. It's quite a good mug though, because it's thin. Um, I quite like a thin mug with my coffee. Good chat again. <laughs> right, let's talk. Um, let's talk proper golf because there was well, it was sort of proper golf, but um, the match or the match two uh, with Phil Mickelson and Tiger Woods and Peyton Manning and uh, Tom Brady. So it wasn't really like the original match, which was hey, it's Tiger against Phil. This was more all round entertainment because they involved the two American football guys. Um, I mean, it raised first of all, it raised twenty million dollars. But I don't know. Did you see this? Did you see it, Eddie, at all? I didn't. <laughs> Well, and I don't blame you for that. I, listen, I wasn't... When the idea, you know, was sort of pitched, I thought, I'm not going to watch that. But then I saw a few people were tweeting about it and actually saying, hey, this is actually quite good. So then I thought, well, where is it? Because you immediately go to Sky and it wasn't on there. They were showing a rematch of the McElroy wolf uh, Fowler johnson match from last week. So it was on CNN, I found out, in this country, which was... It was there weren't that many ad breaks. It were, there were long chunks of golf, and also the whole product seemed to be 
just a bit pacier. The players were in buggies. They were mic'd up in there. They had cameras on them in there. And I would say I'm not a big fan of golf that is, doesn't really mean anything. But this was actually quite entertaining. Tiger had a beard. Did you see any? any? I, I did see. He looked so good. There was I mean, a photo he'd... of him in the rain wearing all black. I just thought, oh, he looked amazing. Yeah, but but he did. It looked good, the beard. But Tiger, because Tiger's never been a person who has dressed particularly. You know, he's great. He's the great one of the possibly the greatest golfer of all time. Certainly one of the greatest. He is awesome, but he's never dressed that well. But he looked good with a beard. That's all I say. He Do you not think I? I my favourite Tiger was mid two thousands. It was oh six oh seven. I think his body was phenomenal. He wore clothes that were just the right size, so he went away from the, you know, stupidly baggy stuff. Mm. He's never been into the tight gear, has he? But it seems to have got tighter over the years. But 2006-2007 Tiger, I thought, was just as good as it gets. All right, rain in. Um, Yes, no, he's he's a a good-looking guy, and he's in great shape. But I don't think the clothes that he wore... You're right, in particular, when he had that sort of quite baggy phase... But I don't think his clothes were ever the best clothes on or off the course. Anyway, we're who, down. Who, who has the best clothes? Who, who, from your perspective, who's got great clothes on tour? I mean, some of that. Oh, oh, you put me on the spot now. Eddie Pepperell. No, hmm. it's, it's it's difficult because golf clothes are designed for a mass golf market, so you'd have a lot of the, you know, Swedish designs that came in, but then they were sort of slightly corrupted for a golf market so they could even uh, slightly brighter and slightly more garish but just well fit well fitted well cut clothes you know to show that golfers can look good but um and then there were shorts again last night and phil's calves were out and everyone was talking about them and phil is um what what, what has happened to phil mickelson has he not become one of the strangest people on the planet i mean i like it i love it i love the fact that he's just so eccentric now but what has happened is this what happens when you reach like mid 40s as a man yeah, uh, I, w- I would know. I'm in my late twenties. Um, he, but well, this is one of the reasons why it worked last night as well. Because Mickelson, whatever you think about him, and he's done some stupid things on the course as well. And sometimes he can be very disingenuous. And what you see is not exactly what he is. But oh, well, hang on <laughs> that's a Phil's lawyer. There, <laughs> hang on a minute. Don't speak. No, badly, but please. but 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 what Phil does do is he knows how to put on a show, and he knows how to be amusing, and he knows how to make things tick along and he gives good copy he just he was very entertaining last night in the match and he was one of the reasons you know with the best will in the world Dustin Johnson is not going to be able to give you that so whether it's fake smack that he's talking he does it very very well and if you're going to get someone to be mic'd up and to to make something move along swiftly in an entertaining fashion that's what Mickelson's there for and he plays golf in an entertaining fashion as well I mean he was all over the shop at times but then he produced some amazing golf as well so it's a bit of a ride with Mickelson, and that's what you got I, with him there. I do have a theory. Um, I think he's got something to do with CBD oil. Um, and I say this from personal experience. I had an experience uh, a few years ago in Portugal. I ended up in hospital. Um, and at the time, I was quite I was quite dehydrated, but I'd also had an overdose on CBD oil. And I only knew this from another experience later down the road. But but at the time, I was like, what what's going on with me? But basically, I... I just downed the rest of this CBD oil bottle and it was a strong, strong CBD oil. And I went to the airport, was about to board the plane and I thought I was going to collapse. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to faint. I've never fainted in my life. Didn't know what was going on. I was quite afraid. So I didn't board. So 
I had to go to hospital. So I went to hospital. And when I was there, I had a moment where I literally started hallucinating. And I was like, what is going on? I didn't feel ill. I just felt really strange. And I remember starting to laugh. And I said to Jen, I think I might be high. And now this isn't really possible because there's so little THC in CBD oil. But I think I took so much of it in quite a depleted state that I had this experience that was a bit out of body. And ever since, it's the first time in my life I've lost all inhibition. And I think then Phil Mickelson started doing it. And I became a little strange. Arguably, I've always been strange. But I became a little stranger in the last couple of years. And I, and, and I think it's got something to do with CBD oil because Phil is now just loose. Hmm. loose loose as a goose isn't he and and, and um you know it might not be the cbd oil but when oh. i played with him at carnoustie i thought he was very very open and genuine he was letting me touch his shirt i mean a pair of us walking down the fair i was touching his shirt it's like final round of an open championship what, what people must be thinking what's going on but he had one of those long buttoned up shirts you know the really nice yeah. material ones um mizzen and main i want to say beautiful yeah yeah, it is Mizzen and Main. He did that dance. Um, THC, I've just had to look up because I'm obviously cool down with the kids. Um, accept and continue cookies. No, I don't want to accept those cookies. No, you can no. probably get it in the cookie form. Hang on a second. All right, okay. So it's just it, THC. Uh, yeah, no, psych- no, 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 they mentioned it. it seemed, I think it's the main psychoactive compound in marijuana exactly. that gives the high <laughs> sensation, uh, exactly which can right. be consumed by smoking marijuana. It's also so- oil. Oh, the, my page is finished there. So yeah. CBD oil is legal. And listen, mm. I don't take it anymore, but I did take it. I'm surprised it's still legal as as a golfer. Um, mm. I think the benefits to it are more than just what they say they are. I, I really do. So um, I know there are other golfers taking it now. And I, I will. Uh, it's a bit of a magical substance at times in the right environment. But um, I think that can stay in what I've just said there because it's always been legal. I've never broken any rules by taking it. No, no, um, no. I, I think it was effective when I took it. I really credit it for a lot of things. Um, but what? it does make you, you know, it loses, you just, you lose. There is a, there is a little weirdness to it. Yeah. When you were um, just about to board the plane and you were talking to Jen saying, I think I'm high. Um, well, that was in the hospital. Oh, all right. Okay. So that wasn't, you. yeah, you weren't actually talking to, and you realized you were talking to someone at the boarding gate uh, from the airline. I think I may be high. Uh, <laughs> uh, right. Anyway. Um, that's yes. when they bumped, that's when British Airways bumped me to gold status at that very, the very moment. Um, which is worth a huge amount now, obviously, with all the flights we're going to be taking. <laughs> so uh, you can go and make your own little lounge that you can sit and say, I'm, I'm perfectly entitled to be in here. Thank you very much. And flash a gold <laughs> card to Pip or Gus. Um, George Cruz, rugby player, I think he um, markets and sells CBD oil um, yeah, because it is it is perfectly legal now. So other, uh, just to go back to the match. It, I think it worked really well. They were flying around in these buggies. This was at the Medalist, which is one of the courses of choice for any any big-name pro who lives in that part of Florida near Jupiter. Um, Tiger's a member, Rory's a member, Brooks, people with one name, just one name people. They're all a member. Justin Thomas, he was doing some of the commentary last night as well, with Charles Barkley as well, a great former basketball player, um, terrible golfer. Um, Dustin Johnson's a member Ricky Fowler's a member anyway it's a it's a nice course the weather was terrible but that all added to the sort of pantomime atmosphere of it I just wonder what we might be able to take from that into the pro game because the pro game is sacrosanct in terms of you know they have to be serious tournaments for serious titles but I wonder if this kind of thing there can be more of this in the game in terms of entertainment or if this is just a, a specific match for our very specific times at the moment well, I remember um, Anthony Wall a couple of years ago, a few years ago, played in a Rolex Series event, I think one of the first ones. And 
he holed out from a bunker, I remember, being told the story, and he turned to the crowd and he just said, now that is entertainment. <laughs> oh, dear, dear. The one person in the crowd. Um, Tom Brady. That was the dynamic of last night as well, because the dynamic was great. Tom Brady was playing terrible golf. They wanted you perhaps the greatest quarterback of all time, I'm told by those who know. He was playing absolutely terrible golf. Lost about 12 balls, but then he holed out from the fairway at the seventh just after Charles Barkley had been giving him some stick. Um, and so it was the whole thing, the whole thing worked. And so Brooks Kepka, when Tom Brady was playing so well, he tweeted, I'll give $100,000 to uh, the charity through his own foundation if um, if Tom Brady makes a par. And then moments later, he holes out for a, for a birdie from about, I don't know how far it was, 120, 30 yards or whatever. So it was entertaining. I, um, it was strange. It made you sort of realise, just watching it, watching sport again on television and watching sport that you're kind of enjoying, it was just a bit of a relaxing diversion. It kind of hit home what um, what we'd been missing. On Tiger Woods, Kevin now gave an interview to Sky Sports News and he said he would be looking forward to playing in the Ryder Cup team in 2022, especially given that Tiger Woods is going to be the captain. And then he was pressed on this a bit further and he went, wow, I'm... And he, you could hear the... Beep, beep, as he reversed, but didn't reverse very well. He said, well, I heard rumours. Uh, am I starting a rumour? That's what I heard. I don't know. So <laughs> um, so that would, but it would kind of make sense, wouldn't it? They're, I mean, he's going to be captain as soon as he's not going to be playing in it. Yeah, but I would say there's a much stronger chance Tiger's going to be in that team. I mean, he looks, um, he's playing unbelievable. Um, I also heard a rumour that Westwood's going to be the next one. I mean, both of those players could be like Gianluca Vialli. You know, you could have... They could be player captains, couldn't they? So, um, yeah, player managers. Um, I, I would I, say Westwood will be captain in Italy. There we go. I'm saying it here. You've heard yeah. it here first, if it's right. <laughs> well, I'm just... I'm, I would be, I think the pair of them could still make the team. You know, um, certainly Tiger. Um, mm. uh, interestingly, on Kevin, though, I played with him at the USPGA at Whistling Straits in 2015. First two rounds. I think I came last. Um, but Kevin's a, Kevin's a really good player, actually. And... We were on the 18th hole. It was our ninth, I think, on the first or second round. And the 18th of Whistling Straits is that amazing par four. It's like 500 mm. yards. Hit up onto like the plateaued fairway. It's tough. And it was into the breeze. And we hit good drives. And we've got like 250 yards to left to the pin. So it's an astronomically long par four. Kevin Nahr calls a referee over. And I'm like, what's he calling a referee for? Calls the referee over just to complain about how long the hole's playing. <laughs> and I was like, I've never seen anything like this before. This is brilliant, you know. And then proceeds to hit his driver off the deck to, I'm not kidding, 20 feet. It's one of the best shots I've ever seen. It was an unbelievable shot to this back left pin. It, I don't think he made the putt, but I was like, you've just complained about how long the hole's playing. And you had an amazing shot with the driver. It was, uh, yeah, he's um strange cat, but... Uh, his mother was quite often close at hand as well. I remember him sort of having an argument with his mother. I was I was walking a couple of holes. I can't even remember what major it was, but out in the states, and he he started having a bit of a he was having a bit of a mare, and it all it all came out. Anyway, um, so I was reading the story, the, uh, catching up with that's Kevin Na Kevin Na naming Tiger as Ryder Cup captain on, on Bunkard's website. So then I got into the um, a bit of a because I saw this. They got me. They got me with clickbait, and I saw that Greg Norman's ranch in Colorado is up for sale for how much do you think his his ranch in Colorado is up for sale for Eddie oh 
Greg Norman, isn't it? The king of excess. I'm going 40 million. It's not. It's 20 billion. No, it's 40 million dollars. Yes, 40 million dollars. Good guess. Hmm. Skeptical noise. Uh, 40 million dollars. 12,000 acres, which is 19 square miles, or as Bunker put it, being a sort of Scottish-based uh, magazine, 14 Glen Eagles. The whole Glen Eagles estate times 14 is the size of Greg Norman's ranch. Um, But because they had got pictures from the actual uh, brochure to to sell the ranch, you could go around Greg Norman's ranch, basically, uh, and look at it. It's extraordinary. It is, um, I mean, so many trees, which I was told were brought in from Montana to build this ranch. So many dead stuffed animals in there. There you, Greg Norman. So he's got deer skulls and antlers above the bed. There are bears stuffed. There are giant elk and bison and come on greg stop killing things um but anyway so his ranch is up go on did you see in one of the bedrooms they uh, had a dartboard and on it was your face (laughs) i have no end of admiration for greg's ability actually that's not true a wonderful golfer but uh not a closer but um i i might go and make a tentative offer just to of not forty million dollars, just so I can go around and and remove all the dead stuffed animals. Uh, but there we are, Greg Norman's ranch. Uh, other news: We said we we're going to keep this a bit shorter this week, and already we're racing. We're still going to hear from Brian O'Driscoll. So, just quickly, travel between tournaments. The PGA Tour shared a memo to its players: the plans for chartered air travel once tournaments resume. So there'll be 114 seats available on a Boeing 737 that will take players and caddies on Monday from the site of the previous tournament to the next one. Capacity limited because centre seats will not be used. Players will have to undergo a saliva test for COVID-19 following the third round of the current tournament and only those testing negative will be allowed on the flight to the next one. All passengers have to wear facial covering um, and, and access to available seats is established by the player's priority ranking used to draw pro-am fields. So if you get on that plane, you've kind of made it. If you're driving to the tournament, then you haven't. But it's, it's amazing the lengths they're going to, isn't it? Oh, what's the point? Didn't sign up for this shit. <laughs> Oh, God. Um, right, uh, and just one other bit of golfy, golfy news. Justin Rose and Honma have parted company. So it didn't really work, did it? It was uh, I don't know whether it was the clubs, but his form did take a, a bit of a downturn with Honma. You know, they are the one of the uber-exclusive brands in the world and uh, a Japanese brand. And, I mean, he'd been with TaylorMade for 20 years or, or more. And, uh, and the Honma didn't work, and eventually he was sort of creeping some tailor-made clubs back into his bag but it's amazing the switch of clubs how much difference it can make to somebody's game I remember Ian Woosen going with a similar big Japanese company Maruman and when he had won his majors and I think it was in the early 90s he went with Maruman and again whether it's just coincidental or whether it was the trigger his form dropped away a bit um so it's uh, it's 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 such a precious thing to a golfer the clubs that they know they've had success with I think so. I, I think there are a few brands, you know, you've got your, your Titleist, your Pings, your TaylorMade, your Callaways. You know, they they are the kind of best, you know, in quotes, for a reason. And, um, yeah, once you start going to the more obscure brands, with all due respect to the Hommers of the world, because I know their equipment isn't bad, but you do run the risk. I, I don't know if it's a risk worth taking, but obviously there's lots of money involved. Um, I watched a Japanese documentary called The Princes of the Yen the other day. Um about, it's about Japanese central banking, which is hardly related, I know. But um, 
Well, is this go. not for Eddie Recommends later in the Well, actually, thing? it's not. No, it's kind of related. I've got a okay. decent Eddie Recommends this week. Oh, um, I'm excited. Um, right, we're going to hear uh, about that straight after this because we are going to be chatting now to, to Brian O'Driscoll. Uh, just to give you an official introduction of Brian Driscoll, one of the greatest rugby players of all time. 141 caps, 133 for Ireland, eight for the Lions, three Heineken Cup wins with uh, Leinster, two Six Nations with Ireland, one Grand Slam among them. Uh, he's just an all round great bloke loves his golf as well good golfer let's chat to Bod right hey Brian hey Brian that's how I thought hey Brian <laughs> sorry well because we're so yeah good mates hey Brian what's uh, what's occurring what's what's up with you how are you doing lad um, not much not much whatever <laughs> week whatever nine ten it's all the same um, mm. actually think I'm quite enjoying it at this stage in a weird way. I do miss work, but I, I'm enjoying um, that switch off from having to do things and, um, yeah, and be sociable. I quite like my family, I found out, um, and spending <laughs> a lot of time with them, which is great. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know because I don't have uh, a family as such. I, mean, I do have family, clearly, but I don't have children. But do you not... A lot of people have said, yeah, the the progression through the weeks of lockdown was first few days and weeks. God, I love my family. This family time is so precious. Isn't it great to have family time? And then you sort of, the, the curve flattens and then you descend the other side. And by this point, you just want to get away. I, 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 I continue to peak and trough. I think you you have your moments throughout the week. But I think for the, for the most part now... Um, because the rugby season is coming to the end and it would be a little bit of a quieter time for me anyway. So it's not like I'm missing out on huge amounts of work. That Now, other than the schooling part, I, you know, I would like to have a few hours in the morning to be able to go and, and, uh, and do what I wanted. So it, myself and my wife, well, she predominantly does the homeschooling, but I kind of take on a day a week and then help her out another day. So that isn't, isn't ideal, but listen, it's, it's fine and... The weather's good and I'm trying to cook everything that comes into my inbox from friends and WhatsApp groups. Mm. There's a lot of there's a lot of conversation around food, which I quite enjoy. And um, think, you know, a bit like you, you've owned the dog section, so I can't really do any <laughs> posting on, on, on our new dog. So um, we're yeah, a little, you know, a little bit of training, new puppy, that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's just easy, good what, fun. What dog? What dog is it? It's a, it's a, we're, we're really good people. We did a rescue dog. Oh. Um, so she's a cross between a Shih Tzu and a Spaniel, I think. But hmm. she's, a a good, she's a, she's a find. She's a find. She's got a great temperament. And other than um, eating her own um, feces, which isn't gorgeous, um, mm. she's a lovely thing. That's how they got the, the name. Good for you, Brian. Good for you. Well done, Brian. Good boy, Thank Brian. you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I, I, we were never dog people, but I, I, I had one horrible thing when I was a teenager, a Yorkshire Terrier that had an awful temperament. Mm. And um, so that was the one and only chance we had at, at dogs in our family. But my wife has always been a big lover of dogs and my kids are obsessed by them. So yeah. we thought we'd bite the bullet. And yeah, it's gone okay so far. Coming back to the... Um the general feeling of this lockdown. I was thinking about this the other day. I kind of feel like you in that it, it's largely better, but there is there is a missing 10, 15%. And I, I feel like if I had, are we moving more towards, say, 
Roman times when Caligula was, you know, there and there's just this hedonistic madness or Russia. And I feel like the general malaise and depression in the area is bringing me more towards a sense of Russia than <laughs> Roman times, if that makes sense. So I feel like we're missing that 10 to 15, going out to a restaurant, you know, the kind of, yeah, the Epicurean delights of life is just so, I think that actually plays a much bigger role in my life than I would be happily to admit do you do you agree with that does that make any yeah, sense yeah yeah like we we would we would have eaten out a good bit and and yeah i do miss that but you know at the same time i've got lots of friends in the bar and, and restaurant trade and um and the thought of opening up to 25 percent makes no sense because you mm. go out for restaurant to restaurants and bars yes for the food but you go out for the atmosphere and the vibe and if you can't create that well then i prefer to have a socially distancing um you know meal in my back garden with some friends coming over but i, I do miss that part um mm -hmm. but i um yeah I've, I've really kind of come to terms with it all i think that yeah. i i like just I'm, I'm a bit of a home person and i and i i'm quite into my cooking now and and baking some stuff so that's it's kind of nice being able to do things that i never would have previously i also feel the need to achieve something in the day that's the really important part for me is that if I get into bed and I've done nothing, I'll feel low. Whereas if mm. even if I'm busy just around the house, sorting things, not necessarily work, but just we've moved into a house a year ago and there's still two rooms full of stuff. So we're, we're trying to clear that out and said, if we don't get this done during the, the lockdown, these rooms are going to be like this for in 10 years time. Mm. So that sort of stuff, just making sure that I've got a few wins under my belt throughout the day. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you've, you've not stopped baking. Where do you get the flour? Where do you get the yeast? We can't get I, hold of these yeah, things. I, I bought a 16-kilo bag, um, <laughs> and and I, and I thought, I was like, God, I'll never get through this. I am milling through it, excuse the pun. But um, it's, um, yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed it. I, I did it, I, I work with a, with a clothing brand over here called Gym Plus Coffee, and as, as part of their April um event they wanted people to pick up something new so i was like oh, i'll pick up baking or something and so they nailed me to it and then i thought okay i better actually get involved and then i really liked it uh and now you know i'm enjoying people sending recipes and just trying something from scratch i made a few pecan and chocolate tarts uh, the other day which i'm a big pecan mm. fan mm. and it went went down very well with um, my nearest and dearest and uh, kids can be honest they will tell you if it's brutal and yeah. thankfully it wasn't yeah what did they think of the dog videos is is, is... they love them wow. they love them you're a celebrity in our house so um more importantly our gym our gym plus coffee uh, are they interested in sponsoring any podcasts <laughs> <laughs> They Do don't you, love it quite as much as my kids, but uh, yeah, no. No, maybe, yeah, we'll talk after the call. call you me know me. 555-755. Yes, uh, write to me at my uh, address, 123 High Street, uh, <laughs> Main Town. So, um, yeah, no, well, you know me, I love coffee, uh, big gym guy. Actually, I stopped going to the gym. Well, obviously, we all have stopped going to the gym, but uh, it's all about uh, home exercise now with my... You must have some weights at home, though. Oh. Sorry, like weights. Do you, like... Running apparatus. I know you don't lift any weights. You, you I shift. So I shift tin. I, I shift small bits of tin, pastel coloured weights. I I do, but but do you as do you any get, circuits? I do a lot. Well, I do a lot. Of, I do more and more sort of hit sessions now, where it's short, intense stuff rather than. Um, but anyway, people aren't here to listen to that. I want to talk. I want to talk. I do want to talk golf. 
Um, right. Actually, I did try to do your wall squat the other day. Um, How did it after go? a bit of a leg, it's fine. My my legs are reasonably, uh, and I, you know, I'm not the heaviest man to hold up. But um, so yeah, I mean, once you get once I get to th- about three minutes, it's just brutal. So, but I think I don't think th- three minutes is yeah, bad. But that's where the shake comes in. The yeah. shake comes in at kind of two, and then it's just hanging tough. But like, if you went and did a wall, one of those wall holds. Like without having done a weight session, you should get five minutes. But it's all to do with the level of intensity of your of your leg session, and then to to just kill yourself with that at the end. Did you see Chris Hoy? Uh, he posted a picture of him doing squats. Yeah, two hundred kilo squats. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty impressive. Hit, hit, that's arse to the floor as well. Like yeah. that's a proper squat technique. My back would be crippled if I did something like that. Now, is that is that good for you though? I mean, you you know squats. I don't want to lift that, that heavy. I don't want to. What, what, what's? I don't know what the benefit of lifting that heavy is. There's no doubt it's impressive, but like I, I'm purely about function now and about trying to make sure that I, I have a bit of a residual uh, bad back from my uh, playing days. So just to try and keep that at bay, that's really the only reason I train, and so I can eat and drink what I what I want. Mm. But since I've retired, I love weight training now. I. I do a little bit of cardio, not a whole lot, but I absolutely love weight training, be it circuits or just, you know, trying to, trying to, ch- I don't know, I'm 41 years of age, I'm still trying to chase like a max bench. I, I don't know what that is. It's something that flick hasn't, hasn't switched itself off yet, where you kind of continually going after PBs. And as I'm slagging off Chris Hoy about arse to the ground, I'm now actually going after the bench because that's my strength. But um, I, I just like the idea of still being able to, you know, while you're playing, proving to yourself that you've got more in you, that you can go to the next level when people think you're done, that you've got one more two, one or two more notches to go. I think there's a fortitude to that that's, that feels rewarding. Yeah. What do you bench, bro? <laughs> I'm, do you know what I'm trying to do? Because there's a combine, um, in the NFL combine, they lift 100 kilos, 225 pounds, I think, for as many reps as they can do. So mm. I was, I was, I got to about 14 or 15 at uh, 14, I think on, on a hundred kilos. So that's yeah. all right. But it's, mm. um, yeah, like some of those guys are 19 coming out straight out of school and they're lifting 30, 35 reps. Okay. So you've given us a perfect link there with your NFL chat into the match to the, uh, I, I didn't realize first of all, that it was, uh, it was available to watch, but anyway, I did watch it. It was on CNN in the UK. So it was good fun. But the, I was thinking about, uh, the, the very short match you'd played with Tiger Woods and it was a similar thing because it was rugby players over in Japan. It was the skins. You played a hole with them. Um, yeah. So who was there? So it was you and Tyndall and Habana. Gregan, Gregan and uh, Habana. Yeah. And the golfers were Matsuyama, Tiger, Rory. Who else was there? Oh, uh, Jason, Jason Day. Day. Jason Day. Yeah. yeah. So tell us about that experience because that was quite extraordinary. Yeah, it was brilliant. It was it was it was a real thrill to get to play a, a hole of golf, particularly with Tiger because of, because it's Tiger. Um, so yeah, we were um, it was all lined up. They were going to be playing their skins game on the Tuesday before the tournament out there, um, and then we uh, came and joined them on like the sixth or seventh. Uh, it was a par three. I remember it was one sixty two. We were kind of we weren't sure how far it was going to be, so we were kind of practicing hitting seven eight irons, and then got up onto the tee. And it was all pretty brief because they were playing their game. We had a bit of conversation. Uh, I was kind of ch- I was partnered with Rory, so I was chatting to him predominantly. And then yeah, I'd say it's the most nervous I've ever been. 
and not just on a golf course. I'd say it's literally the most nervous I've ever been of wanting to make contact with the golf ball. And so I, you know, the pros hit before the amateurs. And then, so I heard Rory asking Tiger what you hit. And he said like a soft nine iron. And I thought to myself, I know it's a nine iron, but I can't hit the same club as Tiger Woods in case I leave it 30 yards short. So I tried to baby a little eight iron in and there was a fair bit of adrenaline and it flew, flew over the back. So yeah, I but was okay with that because it went airborne. Yeah, exactly. And poor old Gregan, because he's a good oh, player, George. And he's, he... he's the best of us. He was the best of us. And he literally must have been about 50 yards left. It was so relieving to see it. Um, uh, I thought anything greenward bound is going to be an improvement on that. And but... what, I, what I loved was he held, he held it for so long. Like as it just continually went further and further left, and he just held. It was, it was only short of a club twirl at the end. <laughs> but the be- the best bit of it, obviously, uh, for I mean, lots of people will have seen it. But you roll in this twenty footer that was some oh, some say it was going you know, <laughs> twenty feet past as well. But rolled it in for a two off. Uh, I think you used Rory's tee shot. I, I can't find the commentary anyway. I think they've deleted it. I think you have got your lawyers onto it. The commentary, I don't know if you've seen this, Eddie. The commentary on American TV, or on worldwide TV, in fact, this went out. And it, Brian rolls in this this beautiful moment in his life, rolling in this birdie pot in front of this huge crowd and Tiger and Rory and Matsuyama. And the commentator goes, Wow, yeah, look at that, Mike Tyndall. And are you trying to steal my magic moment from me? <laughs> yeah. I know when I when I had it replayed back, I was like, I cannot believe they've butchered me like that. <laughs> is this um, when um, Mike? Is, that's where he told the story where he stole Tiger Woods' coin. Yeah, his great marker. Yeah, yeah. his quarter wasn't it? His 1932 quarter. quarter that he's used for almost all his majors. His marker, and he just he sort of appropriated it. Is that? Uh, yeah. And Dawson had to step in. Is that right? Yeah, so I think um, Tiger's agent um, went to Dawson, who he knew, and he said, listen, will you have a word to Mike Tyndall? That's the quarter that he's used for all 15 of his majors. Mm. So he's like, Blimey. oh, sorry. He was lucky he wasn't in America where, well, I'm sure he knows his quarter at this stage where Tyndall could have had a few other quarters. Oh, it's one of these ones here. Take your pick. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm fascinated by you, you know, because I'm always interested when you see pro-ams and you see these great sports people teeing off. And you wonder, I wonder if they get you know, nervous. And of course you do, because it's totally out of your comfort zone. But um, just explaining how nervous you get over that kind of shot and playing in front of all those people, it's, uh, it's interesting to hear. Yeah, it's, it's, it's exhilarating at the same time. You still want to put yourself, you wouldn't have been there if you didn't want to put yourself in those. And that's why we play in pro-ams too, because mm. it's, it gives you, in a, in a circumstance where you're way further out of your comfort zone than you, you play your natural sport, it's still a thrill to have that excitement kind of coursing through you. And I think that's what you do miss as, a, as an ex-professional is that, that fear factor, that possibility of really showing yourself up, but then on the flip side of, of really excelling in a, in a moment of pressure. Um, and yeah, it, like particularly the putt, it was, it was gas because you know I was stood over the putt and I was about to hit it and I, I thought I, I should really ask Rory what the line is on this considering I had him there. And I was about to hit the ball three three balls further right than where he told me. And I was like, oh, okay. And I hit it. And it was one of the few times in my life that when someone's told me to, to do something, I did exactly what they, they said and hit it right over a pitch mark at about 50 kilometers an hour, dinted the hole at the back and shot up in the air. And, and then it went. 
And then, you know, Tyndall comes, well, Rory gives me a, a hug, Tyndall gives me a high five, and the next thing I see Tiger, I was like, come on, big fella, get over here. Please touch come me. On. <laughs> over he comes, and I, you can see the, 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 that um, Golf Channel um, footage where I, my eyes cock across the other side of the green and see him coming, and then, then it's the, the thought, is that how long is uncomfortable holding that high five up there? <laughs> Like is three seconds? Is that is that a second too long? Is five too long? So no, it was it was pretty cool yeah. uh, to to get to experience yeah. that. The, just lean in, lean in for a a kiss. Oh, sorry, I've taken it too far, Tiger. Sorry. <laughs> wow, Mike Tyndall getting some love with Tiger. Uh, 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 so well, I don't get if you're playing in front of a crowd that you don't get nervous over putts, do you? In front of not over you can't, putts. You can't no. embarrass yourself. That's the that's no, the that's thing, true. I my short game is toxic. <laughs> uh, my my pitching game is a horror show at the moment. I've I've, ju- I've just come through. Well, I'm not through it. I, I've been suffering from the from the chipping yips for about four or five years, and I I just haven't gone and given it the time that it needs uh, to to get myself out of that hole. So I yeah I like my um, rescue around the green. I'll have my putter out at all times. That's why I quite like playing links golf is because you can get your putter out from everywhere. Um, so yeah, I, if if I could pitch, I think I'd be an okay golfer. Yeah, you're a good golfer. I've so no, I can hit it. I can hit it. I can hit it reasonably. I can get it well. I, you know, get it off the tee. I'm an okay iron player. Reason, okay putter, but just a horror show chipper. I have a question regarding the rugby. You touched on it there a little bit when you said about uh, fear or something. Um, I know when I think about me and and golfers, I've heard Justin Rose talk before about having a shot that basically gives him certain misses, which sounds weird because you would think someone at the top of their sport would only ever focus on doing something perfectly and would never play for a miss, which we all would probably agree is driven by fear. And Some of your great performances on the rugby pitch, how much of them were driven by a fear of what you couldn't do or what you feared you could maybe do and what was driven by just pure confidence and in the moment, you know, kind of brilliance? And, and was it all driven by one or the other or is there just a mixture? Because I know as a golfer, it's a mixture, quite frankly. Did you, yeah. you know, could you associate with that on the rugby field? Yeah, or was... No, I totally can. I think fear, that fear factor is really important, particularly against the better teams where you know that there's a chance that you could get humiliated. Anytime we played the All Blacks, you have to be razor sharp. You have to really struggle with, with your pre-match meal um, because of the butterflies. If you, if you weren't, you, you, know, you were not going to be sharp. And, and I always encouraged that nervousness because um, I knew that I was on it. I knew that it would make me play with that little edge that I wanted. Uh, against the lesser teams when there weren't those nerves, you know, I, I think it takes a little bit of your focus away, that, that, that sharpness that I talk about, uh, away mm. from me. And, um, it's human instinct that you're going to think some games are easier than others. But I, I always loved when I was going into a game, you know, particularly internationals, and I'd be on the, you know, getting the police escort into the ground, and I'd be, you know, sick with nerves. I, I loved that, and I and I encouraged that because I always felt that I would be at the level I wanted to be at. You know, if you could physically get yourself in good shape to be there, and then that mental aspect comes with your your physical approach i think then you're going to be in good shape for for playing well did you ever mm. feel the fear uh before the match against scotland brian um brian um brian uh, do you know what there's those games that we play with we, we a triple crown against uh scotland in 2010 where they won in croke park our final game in croke park so you know 
you you absolutely treated Scotland with the respect of all the other Six Nations teams, with the exception of of Italy. The expectation was always to win against Italy. You hoped that you would win against Scotland, but that we'd had a treacherous nineties. I came into the team in ninety nine, where I don't know if they'd won no. uh, against Scotland in the nineties, or they'd they'd won once. Um, so you know, we, we, the opinion kind of changed over the course of the 15-year career where yeah. the expectation was to beat Scotland. Yeah. I was just being light-hearted, such as my way. Scotland are pretty good now, obviously. Uh, in fact, I, I, I just want to talk about the return to rugby um, because obviously we just lost the end of the Six Nations and we've lost so much rugby since and the European rugby. And I saw guidelines suggesting now that training is going to be possible without distancing and, and with a certain amount of testing and that contact sports are going to become available. But it's it's difficult to see how things can get, uh, how things can get played in, in rugby terms. Yeah, I think there's huge mixed messaging. You know, I'm I'm obviously I work with BT, and you know we've got WhatsApp groups, and we're constantly in communication of trying to understand what's the message from the you know PRL, the Premiership, um, from you know from unions, from World Rugby, from government. So it, it does seem to be constantly changing. The difference between you know say for instance football and or or golf and, and rugby is the financials around it where you know you were, were the say there was testing i was looking at a an, an own slot times article during the week where testing is 100 quid a test maybe has to be done three times a week you know by 25 30 players the the rugby teams do not have the resources to be spending you know 20 plus grand a week on on testing they just don't they're not like barcelona and real madrid where you know yeah yeah more testing the better they don't have those resources they also can't get it wrong on taking some of the teams that have players on furloughs take them off and then for there to be a full start it'll cripple the clubs financially so they have to get this right and that's why i think they're going to weigh in the side of caution but you'd have to anticipate that we're still a while away from we're a very long way away from full crowds in stadium until that vaccine comes in. I don't think we're going to see the old normal back. Yeah, tag furlough. Um, uh, anyway, listen, Brian, we're going to end on that poor pun. Um, thank you very much for your time. You're a lovely man. And uh, I see you've been, you've been back out on the course, haven't you? you? Did you enjoy your return to playing golf? I did. I did. I played nine holes with uh, an old teammate of mine, um, uh, Malcolm O'Kelly and Shane Lowry's manager Connor Ridge. So, who, who was, was that? Which sorry, which one of that was that? Was that Malcolm or Connor who was swearing at your drive that it was so good yeah, and straight down the It middle? was Connor. Connor. Yeah, <laughs> okay. he was pleased for me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the yeah it was it was be- we had a beautiful day. Didn't play particularly well, but um, you, you, it's all you need. You only need a few shots. I had one one birdie in my nine holes, and that'll get me back. We've got we're back in on Friday, and then a couple of social distancing beverages before our bank holiday Monday which is nice so something to look forward to at the end of the week yeah all right Brian listen uh, hope you get back out there soon enjoy your baking what are you baking today thanks a lot um I made brown bread yesterday and I actually I did a disappointing job I probably underdid it a little bit so oh I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to go again on them because the kids are are shouting at me so yeah I all basically right. just listen to what they say all right good stuff Brian thanks for joining nice us speak to you later thanks a lot thanks, take Brian. it easy cheers See thanks mate. a lot bye The Pepper Pod. Well, that was great to hear from Brian. Um, you know, I think I've got a thing for rugby players of a certain generation. Um, he's he would be in the younger 
aspect. But when I think back to the Delalios of the world, uh, the Johnny Wilkinsons, they seem to be some of the most uh, interesting and insightful sports people you could ever listen to. I don't know if you feel the same way. And I don't know why. I, I think it might be because they were around in an era where professional rugby wasn't so much the thing at the beginning. And so they, they came to rugby, they came to sport with this wider sense of perspective and therefore they're just more interesting because, you know, us modern sports people really are just a bunch of boring <laughs> so-and-sos. But um, they, I just like the old rugby players, I must say. Well, that that is exactly the reason you gave there is that um, there wasn't huge money in rugby and there there isn't huge money now compared to golf or to tennis or to football. But, um, you know, there's better money now. But people generally in rugby were slightly more open to chatting. When money gets involved, people become slightly more defensive and slightly uh, more careful about what they say or slightly more heavily marketed. But yes, uh, and go back even further, you know, you're mentioning um, players, but you go back into the 80s to the 70s, you know, they all had jobs. They were listed mm. in the programmes, um, you know, uh, Finlay Calder, grain merchant. Actually, was he a grain <laughs> merchant? No, but they were. And, and that's what it was. The first thing was given was their, their job, electrician or whatever it might be. Um, so, you know, they were more rounded individuals. Was Delalio's autobiography not the first book you read? I think it was. It was. Yeah, it was a great. I loved it. I thought it was great. Um, you know, it's modern. I mean, I've got a neighbour cleaning my car today. You know, this is the 21st century. This 29 year old twat from Oxford who's supposedly decent at golf and he's got his neighbour cleaning his car. I mean, so, oh. see, my thinking now is do I have to bark that out or is that fine? So I would say that's fine. But then when you upload a pod, you have to say, does this have explicit lyrics in it or explicit content? And I have to make the decision whether that has explicit content or not. No, I think it's okay, but I think you did the right thing last week when you barked out me calling Donald Trump a girl. Oh, God. Uh, it's just the, the thing. So now I've got another edit to do, and that's another. Every time you say that, that's another 20 minutes onto my day. So thank you for that. I'll give you another 40 minutes you're allowed before the end of the pod. Anyway, right. Uh, so you're not going to be recommending Lawrence Delalio's autobiography today, even though it's good because it's, it's, it's one that you've read a long time ago. So what are you going to be recommending for us today? Yeah, that's quite good if you like that sort of thing. Right, Eddie recommends. And this week, Eddie is recommending the following. So, Andrew, if I was to ask you, why do some cars have the petrol gauge on the left and some have it on the right? Would you know the answer to that question? The petrol gauge or the petrol pump. tank pump flap? Yeah, the pe- yeah. Um, flap, sorry. I don't know the answer to that. Go for it. Well, it's because it's to do with queuing at petrol stations. Um, and obviously if you had them all on one side then there would be longer queues at petrol stations so you wouldn't be able to use both sides of the pump well okay so my just my brief interjection on that is you don't have to uh, uh, this is um, this is actually directly lifted from Alan Partridge but you know where he's never going to get it to reach from there you don't have to go to the side that your petrol your petrol tank is on because it, the, no. the hoses stretch across well, they're all extra they long but that's that's a lot. It's a lot less convenient, isn't it? Um, the, oh, you know, I get. The, uh, sorry, I get. I get. I get angry with people. Well, I get angry with people in general. But I get angry with people who, no, no, I'm not going to get it to stretch across my car. So I'm going to just queue up behind in this queue of three here, when there's a perfectly good petrol pump there that you could just reach the hose across. 
I am partridge, God. Anyway, what are you recommending? Is that what you're recommending? Petrol pumps? Well, no, that came from a book that Jen kindly bought me in the week called The Economic Naturalist. And basically, it just describes examples like that from an economic standpoint. Um, there's tons and tons and tons of them. And uh, just lots of interesting snippets. It's a good little book. I mean, not the most interesting thing in the world again, but... You know, I figured that was quite an interesting example. I read that. I thought, oh, that's interesting. I wouldn't have thought that. You know, it it puts things uh, into the economic perspective. So what is it called? The economic naturalist. Yeah. The economic naturist. Naked bankers. Uh, (laughs) Uh, Right. The economic naturalist is Eddie Recommends this week. (laughs) I'll tell you what. There aren't many golfers called Alan. Okay, there aren't many golfers called Alan, and this week, the name for you all to press pause after I reveal it and have a think about it is Chris or Christopher. Chris or Christopher, go. Right, we, um, before we do, Chris, we let ourselves down massively on Peter's. Um, because we don't always get everyone. Of course we don't. Again, we're just thinking off the top of our heads and it, um, we, we leave a few out. And, you know, some of you enjoy saying, what are you, clowns? Um, you've forgotten about, and this week, uh, last week with Peters, we missed a few, I mean, some big ones as well. Peter Jacobson, who won the US Open in Tin Cup when um, when Kevin Costner just kept blowing it into the water. Peter Jacobson won the pretend US Open. Uh, actually, like you, Eddie, Peter Jacobson is a self-taught guitarist. So, <laughs> no, he is. He was, I mean, I think he's a reasonable guitarist. And he used to play in a band with uh, Payne Stewart. I'm not sure who else. Peter Baker, 1993 Ryder Cupper from the Black Country. Um, actually, is it the Black Country? He's near Wolverhampton. Is that the Black Country? I should know such things. Um, Peter Dawson, the two Peter Dawsons. There was one, uh, Peter Dawson who played, uh, I think Yorkshireman, played in the 1977 Ryder Cup, the left-hander. Uh, and then Peter Dawson, who's the former chief executive of the RNA. So we didn't get all the Peters at all. And then actually going back, because this shows that people are still listening to the old podcasts and, and working their way through them. Claire Hargan, um, we were talking about Steve's and, Steve's and Stevens many episodes ago, and she said, what about Stephen Bottomley? Shot the best of the day, 69 in the final round, 95 open at St Andrews. He was the leader in the clubhouse for a long time. People were going, Stephen Bottomley going to win the, the Open. Eventually missed the Rocker Daily Playoff by one, but um, Stephen Bottomley. Right, Chris or Christopher? Um, what have you got? Have you What have you got for us, Eddie? Um, <laughs> oh, God. Um, Chris Riley. Chris Riley, good. Good start. Um, yeah, did you play Ryder Cup? He did. He played uh, at Oakland Hills uh, in 2004. I, yeah, had. A, I remember chatting to him there. He was a very good, um, very good amateur. He played Walker Cup, but he was about the same age as Tiger. And Tiger spoke very highly of him as an amateur because I think he was from Southern California as well. Chris Riley finished uh, good finishes in the USPJ in 2002-2004. Played in the Ryder Cup and is now a golf coach. Uh, for one right? of from, from memory, America. he was a really good putter. Have I have I just made that up, or was that no? True? No, you haven't. He was, uh, and I think he had a, like a a blade, yeah. a blade putter. Seemed, well, anyways, I think it's I funny, know. isn't it? Because I think a player could be a crap putter, but just have a blade putter and look good. Yeah, and you'd say oh, he's a great putter. Oh, he knows um, what he's doing. Yeah, yeah, that guy knows what he's doing. Mm. Um, right, Chris DeMarco. He was also a Ryder Cupper in 2004 and 2006, won three times in the PGA Tour. But more importantly, uh, he, he very nearly won a couple of majors, lost a playoff yeah. at Whistling Straits to VJ in 2004. Uh, Justin Leonard was also in that playoff. And then, of course, the Masters in 2005, uh, you know, when Tiger chipped in at uh, 
16. Um, but he lost the, the playoff to Marco. He was also runner-up to Tiger at Hoylake in 2006. So there we are, Chris DeMarco. We're going to rattle through them. Um, what's next? Uh, Chris Stoke, big Chris Stoke. Played with him on the Challenge Tour a few times. Used to wear a funny hat. Uh, had a hell of a temper on him. Quite a character. And um, yeah. yeah. Well, he's, he was a big fan of Hogan, wasn't he? So that's why he wore the cap. Do- Doki. don't know how he got that name, Chris Doke. But um, yes. Yeah. Crystal, good one. Good one to drag out of the Chris Ether. Um, Chris Wood. Woody, again, good nickname. Um, 2008 Open. Fifth as a 20-year-old amateur. Then third the next year at Turnberry. It was an incredible start to sort of a major career. Just a shot out of the playoff at Turnberry. Three-time winner on the European Tour, including uh, one of the big ones, the, the BMW PGA 2016. Played the Ryder Cup that year as well. Uh, a few back injuries. Lovely man. Lovely tall man, Chris Wood. Yeah, that was on TV the other day, the one at Birkdale that Harrington won. And Chris, that was where Woody came. Was that his, when he was an amateur, were you just saying? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. he played with Poulter in the final round, didn't he? Um, he had massive hair that year, I remember, because yeah. it was so windy as well. And he looked like a, a sort of um, albino version of the Jackson 5 um, when he came in and he was giving his <laughs> his chat. But it was amazing. You know, I'd say to finish fifth and third in your first two Opens as an amateur and then as a as a fledgling pro, incredible. Yeah, it is. Uh, he's a good player. Um Right, who else have we got? Uh, Chris, uh, Chris, God, Chris Hansen just came to my mind. I used to play golf with him. Uh, Chris, Chris, Chris Hansen, right? English okay. player. Have you, have you not heard of him? No, I have heard of Chris Hansen, but I couldn't tell you too many details about Chris Hansen. He played with Eddie Pepperell once, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I, I genuinely can't. I do. I do know the name Chris Hansen. Handsome Chris Hansen, as he was known, but I don't know too many details about Chris Hansen. Good-looking man. Used to wear Wolsey as well. In fact, one year at the Portugal Masters, me, him and Rocky all wore the same shirt mm. by accident. Um, it was more an indictment of the lack of range, but um, mm. it was funny. I took a photo and I definitely looked the worst of the three. Excellent. Rocky being Robert Rock. You've got Woody, Rocky, Doki. Um, uh, right. Um... Chris, uh, can I expand it to Christie's? I wouldn't. I'm not going to allow Cristiano's or things like that. But but Christie only because uh, two greats of Irish golf. I mean, one was uh, Christie O'Connor became senior. I mean, he was just known as Christie O'Connor uh, alone. Uh, he was known, in fact, he was known as himself in Irish golfing circles because he was the boss. Played in ten successive Ryder Cups, won 65 professional titles, ten top tens in the Open from 1955 to 73. It was second and 65 at Birkdale and Peter Thompson won his fifth and final one. And Brian Huggett was also tied second, so there we are, Peters and Brian's. But he never played in any American majors. Again, this is a running theme. A truly great player, Christy O'Connor. He got 20 invitations to play in the Masters, but rejected them all with the cost involved in, in travel. And so there we are, Christy O'Connor, senior. Um, what have you got for us on that theme then, Christy O'Connor, senior? Hmm. Uh, Christy Kerr. Oh, God. That wasn't where I thought you were going. Christy Kerr. Okay, well, we've gone into... We've swapped uh, genders. Yeah. And we're uh, exploring this week. We're like the Christopher Columbus of the podcast world. Yeah. Um, Christy Kerr. Christopher yeah. Columbus. That, well, there you go. Christopher um, Columbus didn't, didn't play <laughs> so where, golf. Now, where are we going from Christopher Columbus? Christopher Reeves? I mean, now we're on to Superman. Yeah. So, so let's well, just now leave golfers, because we did this a couple of weeks ago. Okay. Where, now let's move on to the oh, wider oh, world. Christopher. Okay. Uh, Chris Everett was married to Greg Norman for just over a year. In fact, sorry, all was barking away against so many people walking. Um, yeah, get out of here. Um, Chris Everett, so she was married to... Sorry, go on. She's, she's barking at Greg Norman because he's buying the house next to you. 
He's finalised next and, he, and she's worried that he's going to kill her and stuff her above his mantelpiece. <laughs> so Chris Everett was married to Greg Norman for just over a year. Uh, she'd married him a month before he led for much of the 2008 Open Championship at Birkdale, which we're just talking about, at the age of 53. I mean, he led going into the final yeah. round, if you remember, finished third. So yeah. that, and, and at that time, we thought, this is incredible. This is never going to be done again, a 50-something. Yeah. And then, of course, next, the very next year, Tom Watson, Tom Watson. 59. That, how good were those two Opens? I oh, mean, they were great. They were amazing, those two Opens. Um, Christopher Walken, he's an actor, right? Yes, he is an actor. Well, yeah. Uh, Does he play golf? Um, not sure. He could well do. Um, okay. I should uh, go back just quickly while you're mulling that over and thinking of other non-golfing Chrissies. Christy O'Connor Jr. won four times in the European Tour, uh, twice in 75, played the Ryder Cup that year, and then in the late 70s and early 80s had a bit of, of a slump. My first awareness of him was when he led the Open in 85 at St George's, had a first round 65, led by four, then played with Sandy Lyle in the final round. Sandy won, uh, Christy O'Connor Jr. was third. But what Christy O'Connor Jr., is best remembered for is the 89 Ryder Cup. A lot of people were saying, oh, he shouldn't, shouldn't have been in the team scraped on. Won the Jersey Open that year. He was ranked 71st in the world. Ends up playing Fred Couples in the singles. Comes down to the final hold. Couples has, has just taken off a huge chunk of the water. Nine iron in for Couples. O'Connor hitting a two iron. Skipped it up the first tier to about four feet. Couples makes bogey. Chris O'Connor Jr., the hero. Tied match, but uh, retaining the, the trophy. So Chris O'Connor very sadly died, um, again, too young, just a, a few years ago, four or five years ago. So there we are. Have you thought of any more non-golfing Chrissies? No, I think that was a good place to leave it, actually, on that nice story about two iron. Yeah, maybe that was a beautiful shot. What a shot it was. So Christy O'Connor Jr. forever remembered and ending our Chrissies, Christopher's, uh, Christie's, uh, and there we are. There aren't many golfers called Alan. Quite a few more than I originally thought called Chris. Hi, I'm Colin Montgomery, and I'm crushing it on the peloton right now. Okay, well that just about does it for us. Again, we're trying to keep it down to less than a 14-hour podcast. So, countries listening, uh, Senegal and Somalia have got in on the act. Two downloads in Senegal, so two different people, or one really keen uh, Senegalese golfer. There are only four courses in Senegal, West African uh, country. So... um, and Somalia as well on the other side, on the, on the Horn of Africa, on the eastern coast. Oh, she's so angry today. She is so, is so angry. Why is she angry? Is it because she... Where's the next video? She's thinking, I need more work, isn't she? So I, I, can't, I can't begin to explain the stress I'm feeling about videos, so it's just not... It's not happening. I just want them to be my dogs again. Anyway, um, I'll think of something. Somalia. One download in Somalia. So this is the first country we featured where I've been unable to find any golf courses in Somalia. So if you are the uh, Somalian listening to uh, the Pepper Pod, please get in touch. Um, I don't know how, just find us on Twitter. Apparently there used to be a nine-hole course in the grounds of the US Embassy in Mogadishu, but not anymore. So there we are. Thanks, Eddie. We've enjoyed... uh, Today we've covered a bit of ground. What are you you doing for the rest of the day? I should (laughs) have talked to Brian about... Um, I retweeted an article in the week about Quade Cooper and Sonny Bill Williams doing the carnivore diet. We're doing it for eight months. Um, I should have brought that up really with Brian because we're talking about food. Mm. Uh, I don't know if you saw that, but Quade Cooper was just looking absolutely ripped. Um, yeah. Surprising that rugby players would, would do it. I'm intrigued to see how they go with it because you'd think, you know, rugby, you can need a lot of energy. I mean, it's easy for a golfer to do it because walking's easy, but I, I'd be intrigued to see how they go. 
Um, yeah, Craig Cooper doesn't get through a huge amount of work though. He's he's a fancy Dan, a great player, absolutely fantastic player. But um, we'll see. Um, none of these things I would say to their face. So um, there we go. We'll end on that cowardly uh, moment in the on the pepper pod, and we'll see you again next week. Goodbye for now. <laughs>